Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of the Self Love Club podcast is powered by Blue, the mic of the internet. The Self Love Club, where boss women share their stories to empower others. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Hello, hello. Welcome to a new episode of the Self Love Club. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you are new, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. There is a backlog of interviews with some incredible women for you to catch up on. We rely heavily on your support and there are some easy ways you can do that. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Self Love Club on whatever podcast app you like listening on. We're on all of them. Also, you can follow us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. You get daily self-care, self-love notes, IGTV, clips of interviews, inside scoops, heaps of goodness. And it's really cool to see where you're listening. Keep tagging us in your stories. Another way, if you're really enjoying it, is telling a friend about it. Sharing with your pals is super helpful. And we do thank you for all of your support. Right, let's get into this week's episode. Steph Claire Smith, now Miller, is a powerhouse. With a hugely successful modeling career and as a businesswoman sharing her life, Steph has amassed a following of 1.5 on Instagram. Steph is so down to earth and gets candid about her experiences with modeling and the effects it had on her. We find out how she's done what she has, including co-founding a popular health business and others, trolls, body image and self-care. We're so lucky to have Steph on the Self Love Club podcast. This is so exciting. Steph, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. The girls have been asking for you for ages, so so, so we could do this. That's so lovely. I um, I've got to say, I love the way that you say my name because one of my best mates is originally from New Zealand. Actually, she she lives there again now. But um, when she first moved to Australia, I, it took me so long to get used to her calling me like Steph and like saying it like that, and and Steph. then it just became like this nickname everyone called me through high school. So it's quite nostalgic. <laughs> Tell us about yourself. I know that right now you're in Melbourne lockdown still, which is such a hard time for everyone. So how have you been doing? I've been doing okay. I feel like some days are much better than others. And then some days are a bit of a roller coaster on their own as well. Like just feeling a mixture of emotion every single day. But I think it's taken me, I don't even know how long we've been in lockdown for. It feels like all year. Um, It's taken me this long to kind of realize that you can only do so much focusing on, you know, gratitude and what you're grateful for and and focusing on the positives. Like it does come to a point where you've just kind of got to let yourself feel down and a bit shit about things. Like Mm. I think we're all, I mean, Melbourne, definitely we're all so far from our normality and and everything right now. So we are missing out on a lot and we are missing our 
friends and like hugging people and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's just totally fine to admit that you're not feeling okay, even though you know, and I know I am in, you know, a really fortunate position compared to others. And I am grateful for that. But I think also sometimes you just got to let yourself feel a little bit shit. So mm. yeah, to be honest, it's been a roller coaster. But right now talking to you, I'm feeling Aww, good. <laughs> thank you. Sort of getting ahead a bit, but do you sort of ever feel, do you find it hard to admit that you're not feeling good sometimes? Because I know I definitely do. Because you want to be positive and yeah by saying hey I'm not feeling that great today do you ever find that a little bit harder have you gotten used to doing that I think it's definitely you get used to it I mean with my kind of following I'm always going to get the best of both worlds when it comes to response to stuff like that and I think the thing is is I'm always going to do it if I feel like it's going to help someone else if it makes someone else feel like they're not alone in what they're going through or that they can relate to me in some way even if that's only a small handful of people then I'm going to share it and even if it gets me some backlash or some weird dms saying that I have no idea how fortunate I am and and all this sort of stuff I just kind of put up with that angle because it means that there's still that small handful of people that mm-hmm. I might be helping and it kind of helps me sometimes just being real I'm very forward on social media I'm very much me and there's not a lot I don't show on there so it just wouldn't feel right to hide those things like Mm. those down days and everything yeah we'll talk more all about that soon but first of all tell us a bit I mean a lot of us know who you are anyway but tell us about yourself and what you do um so I have been well so I'm a co-founder of keep it cleaner which is pretty much takes up most of my time these days. And that's my baby with Laura Henshaw, my best friend, who I know you've spoken to as well. Um, She's such an angel and it's been an absolute dream come true getting to work with her. And I'm sure we'll talk about Kick later on, but that's kind of what I'm doing quite a lot of lately. Before Kick, I was a full-time model and I was modeling. I've been modeling for about eight years now. So pretty much as soon as I finished high school, I got straight into it. Um, And then even through high school, I dabbled in it. And even when I was a kid, I dabbled in it. It was just something that I knew I wanted to do growing up. I was kind of always in some sort of performing art. So whether I thought I was a good singer, which I later found out I was certainly not, (laughs) Um, (laughs) or I did dance classes or like even a little bit of acting. I think that's what drew me to modeling because I got to be in front of a camera and kind of, you know, put on a bit of a persona and I just found it really enjoyable. And mum just always spoke about like how our family books, our, our photo albums and stuff were just full of photos of me because I was so obsessed anytime she got the camera out I was like cool yeah let's take some photos <laughs> um, you were doing Instagram um, shots before Instagram was a thing you know like mom take a photo in front of this amazing wall like you know it's a great backdrop I know but yeah and and with, when it comes to Instagram when I first started modeling I was probably modeling for about six months when I first got Instagram. It was kind of the same year that that started to boom. I really just got it so that my friends and family could see what I was doing, the kind of jobs I was going at and like just keep up with my stuff. And it was just the new thing that everyone was jumping on. My following just started to grow. And Mm. I think it was just because there was a few different people interested in both my career. And I did share a little bit of like fitness stuff. Um, Not really a lot because back then I, I dabbled in fitness stuff, but I was quite, I was quite a late bloomer. So I was still kind of in my child body and got away with eating pretty much whatever I wanted when I first got Instagram. And I just had good genes basically. And I was a little string bean, but then there was quite a lot of fitness that was kind of really big at the time. So I, I started to focus more on that. And then my body started to develop and, you know, I started to really get into health and fitness and i um, really enjoyed that kind of lifestyle. So then I posted more about it and yeah, it kind of tumbleweeded into this mm 
beautiful, very large, scary sometimes number yeah. <laughs> um, that I forget I have sometimes. It's funny when people ask me about how I've felt with having that kind of following. It's been so long now. Like it's been over eight years that mm. I just, it hasn't really felt any different now to how it felt when I hit 100,000. <laughs> does it does it sort of make you think, do you almost like second guess yourself at all anymore as your following has gotten bigger? Yeah, I think the only thing that's changed really in that is I, I probably care a lot more how I am going to, because I know I'm a role model for young women and that's really important to me. So I've definitely taken much more responsibility in that kind of sector. But for random people who follow me who just want to kind of throw in some digs out there, I couldn't care less. The, the more my following's grown, the more that's kind of been okay with me because it's happened more often and there's more randoms from, you know, countries of different age groups of men or whatever that I really couldn't care less like what they think I should be doing. Mm. Um, and it's really just those who I do care about and, you know, the young women who do follow me and who do look up to me, that's kind of who I care most for. So yeah. if I am thinking twice about what I'm posting, it's really only for them. It's not for any random backlash I'm going to get from trolls. What has that been like at times? I mean, you probably, you know, you're a normal girl and you all of a sudden <laughs> built quite a big following. And like, was that hard for you in the beginning when there were like trolls and things like that online? Definitely. When I, when it was the hardest was when I focused so much on the way I looked and I was full-time modeling and I had my own image, body image issues and eating issues and, and stuff like that. When I was in that headspace and I was really fragile, having other people kind of comment thoughts that I had in my own head, at, you know, like for example, I thought I was too big to be a model sometimes. And then I would get comments like that. And then that would just make me feel like, Oh, yeah, I'm right. If they're saying it, then it's true. And that was really hard because it would just feed into insecurities. But I feel like once you get to a point where you're really sure of yourself and you're really comfortable in your own skin and, and you know that that's not what you value anyway, you know, people could comment whatever they want about my appearance now. And whilst, you know, it's not nice to read those things, it definitely doesn't affect me like it did back then. So I think it, it really has something to do with the kind of headspace you're at when it comes to dealing with trolls. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk more all through that stuff soon. But I think it's such a cool story because you and Laura, <laughs> but you both, you know, I think this is why girls relate to you so much as well. You started, you know, you worked at Boost Juice. That was one of your first yeah. jobs and you were modelling on the side. Talk us through how you went from school and then there and then into your modelling. Talk us through your modelling career as well. Yeah, okay. So I suppose to go to the very start, my first job was at Baker's Delight when I was 14 and nine months, the earliest age you could work at that time. And I was just so keen to get a job and my parents were really encouraging in that way. They wanted me to learn what it was like to work for someone and to make my own money. And, you know, if I wanted to go to the movies or I wanted to buy myself a dress, it would come out of my pocket money from, from that. So I felt like that was the best thing I did. Um, I did learn so much and I worked at Baker's Delight till I finished school. So three or four years. And from there I had a few other summer jobs. You know, I worked at Supray and Osmosis. Oh and throwbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Total throwbacks. When I look at what I had to wear <laughs> as my Supray uniform, I'm like, what? The tops with the holes in them and like the fluoro yeah. and like what else? The belts they had. Yes, yes. Then, yeah, when I finished high school, I I knew I really wanted to get into modeling. And as I said earlier, I'd kind of dabbled in it towards the end of high school. I did studio arts and, you know, if my friend needed someone to 
model I'd kind of stand in but I had braces at the time so I wasn't ready to like fully jump in I was kind of always like posing with my mouth shut and and I just knew that it was something that I was still interested in and when it came time to the end of you know VCA here when they kind of put that pressure on you of choosing your direction and what you want to study and everything the things that I was kind of thinking of were all so far apart like one of them was a PE teacher another one was like caring for animals and then another one was totally different and I just couldn't kind of pinpoint one but the only thing I was really sure of was modeling and so I spoke to my parents and I spoke to them about the idea of possibly doing a gap year and trying modeling out and also at the same time working part-time and trying to figure out what I wanted to study the year after and they were totally supportive of that they always have been really supportive of me doing and trying whatever I you know am really passionate about and they knew that it was something that I was really hanging to do but their their thing was as long as you have another job so I got the dream juice you know boost juice job at the time I bloody loved working at boost it was so fun but but I didn't work there long I worked there probably for about three months and it just got to a point where um, I was super super fortunate in the modeling industry here in Melbourne where I picked up a few clients who shot weekly. So I think it was, you know, Roxy down in Torquay, Cotton On down in Geelong. And then like there was Meyer and Target catalogs and they were almost weekly. So straight off the bat, I was working like three or four days a week and I I had to quit Boost. It was too much. It was so spontaneous as well. I didn't realize how one night it might be 6 p.m. and my agent will be like, okay, tomorrow you're going to Torquay for the day. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I think once I kind of made that jump into making it full time, I really fell in love with that kind of spontaneous side and like how I'd be meeting new people each week and going to new destinations. And then campaigns started and I realized how fun that was. And I just fell in love with it. And I just I loved working with all these different people and with all these different skill sets. I loved learning about makeup and photography and fashion and all that sort of stuff. And it, it just felt like I was living my dream getting to to do that straight away. Yeah, at the end of that year, I kind of said to mum and dad, look, I'm just gonna keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and and I and I did. So I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. And it's good on you for taking that leap because when you you know when you're passionate about something and it if you just give it a go and then if it goes off, then you might as well go with it, you know. And I think that's something that maybe you sort of worked out along the way. Yeah. And I think with something like modeling as well, that was kind of the hard thing was towards the end of high school when people would ask me what I wanted to do, I started to not say modeling because when I did, I would either get teased as, you know, oh, you must think you're so hot or you're so vain or like, you know, and then I even got people saying, you know, it's such a dead end job, but what else are you going to do? And I was kind of like, well, I don't know, because that's kind of all I want to do right now. So I'll figure that out later. I'm just really proud that I kind of stuck to that passion. And I know, I know a hundred percent, even if it didn't work, out I then would have gone to one of those things that I was interested Mm. in so it wasn't the end of the world for me and and I wasn't super academic in school so even my score what I got was only going to get me into a TAFE and stuff like that anyway and I was super happy to go to TAFE like I didn't have to go to some prestigious university or get some crazy course or whatever for the things that I was interested in so I could study down the track I could just pick it up later and I had that flexibility so I wasn't really too stressed because all the people that were kind of judging me for it were those really academic, you know, people who ended up getting ATARs over 90 and going to study things like business and law and all that sort of stuff. So it was kind of hard for me to relate to their drive. Yeah, it was just something that I had to kind of listen to my gut and, and just give it a go. And I was just really lucky that my parents were supportive of that. Yeah. And you, it did build really quickly. You got some big jobs. You went internationally. Talk us through that as well. 
Yeah, I think um, once you kind of – so I started modelling at 18 in Melbourne and I was working really well and really enjoying myself but kind of got to a point where I either had to kind of go up to Sydney or go overseas to develop, I suppose, my career and portfolio a little bit more. And I was already doing trips to Sydney enough and I just kind of thought if I was going to live somewhere else other than Melbourne because I love Melbourne so much, it would have to be somewhere completely different like overseas. And I always had this interest in going to America and pretty much just because back then my, my biggest dream would be, you know, working for Victoria's Secret Model or Swatch Illustrated or all the cool brands over there. And I just knew that going over that was the only way I was kind of going to be able to even have a chance to even cast with those kind of people so I think I was about 19 and I went so I'd been modeling for about a year and a half here in Melbourne and I went overseas and just we kind of hopped from LA Miami and New York and just met with some agencies just kind of dipped our toes in me and my friend and once I got an agency in each state came home and then I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I think I'm ready to go next year. So then I went and moved over when I was 20. And that was crazy because I was still living at home at the time. So to go from living at home and being quite dependent on mum for a lot of things, moving overseas and living on my own in a new country was quite different. Started off in LA. I was in a model apartment, but I was really lucky. I was in a model apartment with only two other models. There was some horror stories from friends of model apartments. They'd been stuck in with like six bunk beds in one room and all that sort of stuff. So that was not my experience. And one of those girls in the, in the rooms was one of a, it was a close friend anyway. And we ended up getting even closer and then moving to New York. And my experience just kind of grew from there, but it actually, it wasn't the best move for me, to be honest. I really quickly learned that I think I had a bit too much. I'm not going to say respect for myself because I don't want to downplay any of the models who kill it over there. You know, some people are just super lucky, but there was just some certain things that you kind of have to be ready for over there in that market and that industry that I wasn't ever going to do. I started to notice that when I went to New York and my agency took me off the books and kind of said, okay, well, you're not thin enough and like you've got to lose weight here, here, here. This is actually when I was 10 kilos lighter than I am now. So I was definitely thin enough because I was so excited to be there at first I was like yeah okay cool like I'll give it a go and I'll try and everything but it just started to get real defeating when you know I'd have to go in for measurements every week and it was just even when I lost weight it was like cool keep going and the castings that they sent me to were a complete cattle call which means every single person it was like a full open call and you'd be waiting there for hours and you just never got the job yeah I was just spending basically all of my time in New York doing tests here and there that I could pick up trying to hang out with friends to keep myself happy and missing home. And then I was just really lucky that I had a few clients in Australia that flew me back and forth for a few campaigns that kind of kept me going. Otherwise, there's no way I would have been able to afford staying there. But I did stick it out for about 10 months. And then I just got to the point where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I actually love working in Australia. I have no problem working there. I enjoy it. I love my clients. I'm just going to go home. And it was because I'd kind of lost that, I suppose, that part of me that really enjoyed the industry and mm. even just felt comfortable in our own skin. Like that was completely gone over there. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of missed that confidence, I suppose. Yeah. So it did take a bit of your confidence and it, it sounds like it created some body image issues. And I know I've yeah. heard you speak about the having to lose weight, which you and Laura both, you know, have experienced that must've created an unhealthy relationship with your body and with food. And I know that's really personal, so we don't have to talk about it if you, if you don't want to, but a lot of girls and guys can relate to that. So what was that like? 
Yeah, totally. Um, I think because I'd grown up really fortunate, I was super, super sporty, really active kid. So I could kind of get away with eating not the healthiest of diets, but I wasn't, I also wasn't eating Maccas every day. Like I still had a good Aussie diet, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. what the general Aussie kid grew up with. But, and then as I grew older, I, I did make the most of my metabolism in like high school. I really loved that I could eat kind of whatever and still stay kind of skinny and whatever. It just, I just never had any, if anything, my issue in high school was I had a really toned little stomach and no curves and all I wanted was like a curvy belly and like hips and boobs and like all this stuff. So it was funny that, you know, in high school I kind of like envied that curvier body. We always want what we don't have. Mm. And then later when I started modeling and my body started to develop into that curvier body, it's like I then started to want to look like I was when I was 14 and it was just silly. I did fall into a bad habit and that was basically at the start I was okay. I was just eating really, really clean, but then it became obsessive. And it was like, I was eating so, so clean and restricting myself so much from what I was eating that I was overeating so much because I kind of felt like, okay, well, if I'm not going to let myself have that, then just serve yourself another plate of that and it's fine. And I found myself, you know, some days in that studio apartment in New York serving myself a dinner that was already large, but I was just so unsatisfied with what I was eating that I just had to pack my plate full so that I somehow got full. But then I'd put it away and I'd pretty much make my snack straight away, go and eat that, put it back grab another snack, put it away. And it just became this unhealthy relationship because at the end of the day, after all of that, then I'd start to regret it. And I'd start to get really upset by how much I ate, even though everything I ate was, you know, super healthy. It's just that I just, just got so like upset with myself. I felt like I had no willpower. I won't go into detail, but I wasn't very kind to myself those nights. And it was just a really unhealthy relationship because most days it was then repeated the next day or, Mm. you know, at least a couple of days later. And I think until I came home and like started working with my clients that, you know, just loved me for me and um, were fine with the way I looked and my shape and everything like that. Then I started to care a little bit less, but when you go through something like that, it does take a long time to completely let go of those things. And Mm. for years I had to battle with getting over guilt around food. Even if that just looked like letting myself have, you know, the food that I love, whether it's hot chips, cheese or chocolate. And then I just felt really guilty for it later. Like that kind of thing took a long time to go away. And now I can safely say that so out of my mind and out of sight. Like I love how much balance I have with my food these days. And I really just honestly let myself eat what I want as long as the majority of the time I'm putting right nutrients and everything into my body and fueling it with what I need. I still let myself have all those foods that I love because I know that everything in moderation is totally okay. And at the end of the day, my mental health is the most important thing ever. And I think if there's any of those days where I am feeling a little bit sensitive or I do kind of have that guilty feeling creep in, it's just so much easier these days to squash it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to mention that those days still come up like it's way easier than it used to be getting rid of those feelings and because I know and now I recognize them straight away and I just recognize that it's not the right thing to be saying to myself and so yeah I suppose to anyone that's like feels like they're going through something similar it's a journey it's not going to happen overnight you're not going to get over that habit the next day or the next week and then it never come up again. So you've got to kind of really learn and try and focus on where the issue is coming from and the guilt and everything 
wasn't really actually what I was eating. It was because what I was focusing on was just how I looked and losing weight. And that was because that was my main focus and all I cared about. That's where the guilt was coming from. It wasn't actually anything to do with the food. So Mm. when I realized that it just it just helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, so I think a lot of us can understand that in our own experiences and it does take a long time. And I mean, I think it's good that you recognize that that wasn't a, a healthy space for you to be in, in that environment. And it probably helps you so much in what you do now and has led you on to create Keep It Cleaner. You know, is that sort of a huge driving force behind that? Oh, it's a hundred percent the biggest driving force behind Kit because Laura and I, that's kind of where our friendship blossomed. Like we both came home from overseas and modeling and related to one another so much on our own journeys. And we just realized that, you know, we could just eat healthy without caring about how many calories were in something Mm. or feeling guilty about anything. And we just wanted to eat to feel good. So we both had these like healthy recipes that we loved cooking. We both loved cooking. And so that's where the original ebook originally came from because all we could see on social media when it came to, you know, healthy food was strict fad diets Um, or challenges or really, really organic, you know, expensive things. (laughs) And so we just kind of wanted to cut it all down to something really basic, which is just basically eating whole foods and creating things from scratch and making it really simple and easy. And I think a lot of people related to that and that's where our community started to form but it's absolutely our driving force and I think often whenever we hear of you know the women in the community who have gone through similar struggles or they're going through similar struggles it just drives us to you know help them even more and it's it's the biggest reward hearing how kick has has helped anyone on that journey in any way shape or form yeah I think that's why I'm kind of living living a new dream now modeling was once my dream job. And now this is absolutely my dream job. And it's so incredibly rewarding knowing that something we've created is helping people through something like that, something like what I went through. Yeah. And that's so right. And the cool thing is you do still get to model for brands that value you (laughs) and appreciate you and don't try to get you to change your beautiful body. Like it's just, blows my mind that the modeling industry is still so like that, you know, like, I mean, I know it's changing Mm. a lot now. We're seeing a lot more diversity, but making girls who are not overweight think they are it's just like it really makes me mad it makes me so angry you know and I bet that's the same for you girls and that's a huge drive behind what you're doing yeah totally and I love all the movements that are happening these days because it has come a long way but there is still so far to go in the modeling industry and there is quite a lot of people trying to make change which is really awesome to see because I think one of the most ridiculous comments when you know models used to kind of stand up for themselves in that way was oh well that's just not the sample size and it's like okay we'll change the sample size mm. like <laughs> you know I own I've owned my own brands like I know that you can just change things like that it's their choice to keep it at that size if that's what the industry is suggesting so there is room for change and I'm really keen to continue to see that change yeah and we, I mean we're seeing it even more now not even with models you know you're seeing everyone now can use facetune or use filters and like change the shape of their face it's so scary that it's not just models now it's everyday people that yeah it's uh, it's become a big beast isn't it 
Yeah, 100%. I really feel for the generation kind of below us who are in high school, you know, on Instagram and stuff right now, because I remember how easily influenced I was. I mean, I was obsessed with Mary-Kate and Ashley and all that sort of stuff growing up. And, you know, I'd chop my hair to look like them. Um, If I knew where they ate for brunch, I probably would have gone there. (laughs) Think of how much flipping through a magazine might have influenced me in a little way, times that by like a hundred (laughs) hours. Um, and that's what they're looking at each week. And it's just, it's really sad. So I'm hoping that small changes that happen both in the modeling industry and social media as well can alter that. And I watched The Social Dilemma. It's a new Netflix documentary. And even watching that, you know, I've even changed my own habits on my phone. It's all stuff that I already knew, but it's just sometimes you kind of need that awakening and that reminder from something like a documentary like that, you know, even setting like timers and, and um, downtime on my phone and screen time and all that sort of stuff on my phone has helped me so much because whilst there's obviously, I, I need to spend time on my phone for what I do for, for a living. I do fall into that trap of mindlessly scrolling and it never makes you feel good unless every single person that you follow is absolutely like the best thing for you is in like, you know, the best inspiration or like just puppies or something, you know, that's not harmful unless that's all you follow mindlessly scrolling is never really going to make you feel that great because especially now in Melbourne, like mindlessly scrolling for me, I see a friend in Sydney at the beach or at a party or like, you know, I see a friend in Europe traveling and I'm just like, Oh, that could be me. Um, might just go hang in my lounge. (laughs) Oh, you poor things. I think it's just, you know, I just hope that even young people, but everyone can just go back to using social media as a tool where they go there for inspiration. Like, you know, if I want to see that, I will go and find that and I will, you know, go and get inspiration for travel or I will go to see my friends having a party rather than it just kind of automatically popping up on your phone all the time. I think that's kind of where the change needs to happen. Yeah. And also like I spoke with Laura about it. It's like, you know, young girls seeing all these expensive designer things and thinking that they need that. They don't need that. And I, I think it's really important if people cannot push that on people all the time, it, it's an app. I have to remind myself it's an app. We're not like activists. You know, people are just sharing what they want. Don't take it so seriously, but I just <laughs> worry about people seeing stuff, you know? Oh yeah, totally. I, <laughs> I, um, I think back to like in high school, I wore the the same thing so many times. If I had the pressure back then as to like having a new outfit every time I went to a party or something like that, that would have <laughs> been crazy, particularly on my little Baker's Delight pocket. So <laughs> I don't know how they're dealing with that these days. We'll get back to the rest of our episode soon, but first it's time for a word from Blue, the pro microphone company that helps people find and amplify their voices. Blue designs microphones for every application with style and professional quality. I love how my Blue mic enables me to share my passion with you, and so do other countless podcasters, musicians, YouTube creators, and Twitch streamers all over the world. If you're looking to bring pro-quality sound to whatever you do, check out Blue, the mic of the internet. Thanks for making this week's episode of the Self Love Club possible. Now, talk us through, you do own other businesses. I mean, you've you've done so well in turning. Um, it's really cool to see a lot of people who grew social media followings do that and, you know, like you're an entrepreneur. So talk us through your other businesses and how they all came about. I think how that kind of came about was I was starting to work with quite a lot of people through Instagram. So outside of modelling, I was suddenly getting clients um, wanting to pay me for posts or, you know, wear or try their things. And 
at the start, like for so long, it was all free and it was just like the coolest thing ever getting gifted things. And then it really became this thing where Instagram became a marketing tool for brands and, you know, money was poured into them just like they would a TV ad or a magazine. And I think I just picked up, I started working with a few people who kept coming back and would, you know, say how, how well it, it went for them or like the engagement was just great or something sold really well or something. And I just found it really interesting to know, I suppose, how engaged my audience were. And, and I learned also really quickly what they actually enjoyed seeing and what they didn't. You know, if a product didn't go well, it's like, okay, they have no interest in me sharing that. And I, I think what was most important for me as well, and this happened really early, was just making sure that even if I was getting paid for it, it was something that I actually genuinely enjoyed. I actually liked it. And I was actually going to be fine to hear if someone had bought it, you know, after I'd said it. There was never a time where I would have felt comfortable posting for something that I thought was bad <laughs> necessarily. And then I yeah, started to notice how well it was working for people. And I just wanted to have something else going on outside of modeling. I think I just started to have a little bit of interest and a spark in if modeling starts to slow down, what else are you going to get into? You've worked with so many different brands. I had quite a lot of interest in fashion and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of where the interest started. Um, and the kick ebook was first, but that was not a business plan. That was absolutely just a project that Laura and I started together. And we thought it was just going to be a bit of fun and absolutely didn't expect it to kind of boom into the community and the business that it is today. But that was definitely first. And I think from there, Ethan, Josh's brother launched uh, midnight, which was originally a clothing label. And he started to get me involved um, when he wanted to do women's clothing and he wanted to get me involved because he was like, well, be great if you could wear it, but also I don't know what women want to wear. And, and I found that really enjoyable. I loved kind of helping him design things and then getting to kind of design what I wanted to wear and then having it in my hands. It was just like a really cool process. And then we did swimwear from there and then soda came as well. And soda for me, which is soda shades, it's an eyewear sunglasses brand that I run with my partner and two friends, Georgie and Luke. And that for us is just, it's just insane to see how far soda's come as well. And really, really exciting because there's just so much on the cards for us there as well. But soda, Josh and I had always, always loved sunglasses. And I was one of those girls, there's girls who have lots of shoes, handbags, whatever. I had a lot of sunglasses. <laughs> I just loved them. I loved every style and I loved wearing them. So I think for me, it was just one of those things that I felt like it was an accessory that I would be happy to you know, wear all the time and that I just genuinely enjoyed. Also, we found a gap in the market where there was that kind of either really expensive, really good quality sunglasses versus you know, the cheaper alternative, which is so great to have that option, obviously. But they're not necessarily the quality and actual polarized sun protection or whatever. So we kind of wanted to meet in the middle and have a pair of sunglasses that was under a hundred bucks, but was still really good quality and was kind of up with, I don't know, what was in, <laughs> what was in, um, on trend at the time and <laughs> coolest thing with those kind of businesses versus kick. I mean, it does come into play with kick a little bit as well, but with fashion, it, it's really exciting to get it to a point where you're not just making what you you like or what you would want to wear. It's like you actually start to grow this community where it's all about them and what they would want to wear and what they're necessarily wanting to buy. And I mean, we have seen that with Kick as well. Every change that we ever make in the app or everything that we develop for the app is from feedback from them. So I think that's been probably one of my favorite things when it comes to business and, and learning how to run a business has been learning that listening to your customers 
and your consumers is the most important thing and actually engaging with them and connecting with them and making them feel heard is one of the most important things and that runs through all the businesses. And it is so cool seeing the evolution of Keep It Clean, of Kick. You know, I saw that it announced, you know, there's 250,000 members on there, which is amazing. Congratulations. But seeing the evolution, I've heard Laura talk about how, you know, you were starting to film uh, videos on your ca- on your phone <laughs> in the gym, and then look at it now. Like it's it's incredible how it's grown. So talk us through the oh, evolution thanks. and how sort of I mean a lot of hard work, and it's been five years. But talk us through how that's all happened. Yeah, so we've had on on this app, we've had over over the time since launch, we've had over two hundred fifty thousand people sign up, which has been insane. And our community is just the best community ever. <laughs> just, yeah. I feel I, I mean I know I'm biased, but I have a lot of outsiders or friends with their own communities and stuff. And they've said the same, like, it's just so beautiful. And we're so incredibly proud of that community. We have a Facebook community, which is kind of where all they, they all communicate and encourage each other. And, and that's where you really see the beauty of kick, I think in that community. And when people ask me what my favorite part about kick is other than, you know, as I said earlier, kind of getting the reward of knowing that it's changing people's lives. It's that community because it's just all about them. And Laura and I are just a part of that community now. And I think that's really beautiful, but it is funny how far it's come because after the ebook, we then did a subscription website. We kind of, Laura had a food blog and we kind of morphed it into this keep it cleaner subscription blog. And it had, I think it was like one workout a month on there. I think maybe three recipes a month, but it was new at the time. Like no one was really doing that at the time. And as Laura told you, it was filming in either of our lounge rooms and, you know, uploading a short clip to YouTube. And that was kind of the snippet that then showed on the blog. And we went from there to then having like a full grown program on a website. Um, and we ran that with another company that kind of helped run that for us. And, and we shot all the content and, and promoted it and everything, but we just fell in love with it so much that we just wanted to be a part of everything. Like, you know, we wanted to be a part of the marketing team. We wanted to learn about the tech side of it. We wanted to just be involved a lot more than rather than just kind of being the faces of it, because we just felt so invested in the community and wanting to just make it the best thing ever, <laughs> which is where we left that and started from scratch on our own and launched the app. So it's been quite a journey and there's been some ups and downs and learnings along the way, but it's been the best. And I think I'm just, I'm so fortunate to have Laura through the whole thing. There's probably a lot of times where I would have maybe given up or slowed down for sure if it wasn't for her. And she's, yeah, I think it's just pretty magical getting to work with your best friend every day on something that feeds you with so much joy. Yeah, she's the sweetest as well. She's such a nice person. (laughs) But, like, talk us through some of those challenges and, you know, those tough times because I think that's the thing with social media. People don't really see – I'm not saying you don't share that, but, like, you know, people see, wow, she's got this amazing business. They don't see the hard times and all the work and maybe, like, you know, the sleepless nights. And what were some of those challenges along the way? Um, So I think one of our biggest and scariest jumps was ending that older program and going off on our own. And that was really scary because it was going really well and we had a really great, you know, subscriber base and a great community. And we had to start from scratch. We had to start from complete scratch if we wanted to redo it. And it was just really scary because we thought, well, if we go and do this, you know, are the community still going to be interested? Are they going to come back or are they kind of just going to be like, oh, 
nah, I'm not interested in the new thing. I kind of liked the old thing better or I've moved on to something else. And also, are we going to be able to do it? You know, we've been working with a team who this is what their specialty is. They're really good at this. And now we've got to go and make our own team and find people that we think will be able to help us with this. Mm. And that was just really scary. (laughs) It was really scary. But we did it together. And a big help with that was finding a few people who really believed in us for sure. We needed some outsiders for some confidence, I suppose. And the community did come back. Like they were just as interested as before, if not more so, because they were just so excited that it hadn't disappeared forever. I remember when we first started announcing that the program was coming to an end, everyone was like, what? No, like, don't do that. And we're like, we we couldn't say at the time, but we were like, oh, something's coming. (laughs) That was the best thing we ever did. And from there, I suppose the hiccups, it's funny. We think of things that used to freak us out and now we think of those things and we're like, oh my God, that happens like daily. <laughs> like what are we, what are we so worried about? Like if something like the app crashes or there's one user who's having an issue, but you know, it ends up being that they're writing their email in wrong or, you know, like these little things we were so invested and we just wanted to make it the best thing ever that everyone, every single person that signed up, you know, loved it to bits that every little thing that went wrong or every little niggle, we were like, oh my God. And you just kind of, you kind of get used to it. And I think when you work in a tech business, you learn that a lot of that stuff is just going to happen. Um, so you just you just got to kind of learn as you go. And um, we've got an incredible team who who really help us with that. And I think that's one thing that for a long time people didn't realize was that we really do work heavily in the business and we have developed an incredible team. We work really closely with everyone. And I think for a long time, there was a misconception that we kind of were just a part of the the videos and stuff like that and and not a lot more but it's truly our baby and it's really hard to step away from things even though you know that you know you've got someone who's completely capable and you trust their skill set and everything you're just so excited about every decision that you still want to be a part of it all because you just love it so much so yeah I think when it comes to lessons and and everything there's been quite a lot it's too hard to name them Mm. but the biggest jump and the scariest jump was definitely going off on our own. Yeah. Is it hard to switch off sometimes when you do have your own thing, which you're so passionate about? And have you had to learn to switch off in order to take care of yourself and, you know, feel well and be your best version of yourself? Absolutely. I mean, I think we're we're super fortunate in that what we do do is a lot to do with self-care. Even if I am working on the app or if I am promoting the app, um, which is a part of my job, it's because I'm doing a workout or I'm, you know, cooking a really nice recipe. So they're all things that I would do anyway for self-care and uh, I mean, everything. So I'm, I'm lucky in that way. But I definitely, definitely do need to switch off. And Laura and I both um, often remind each other that our friendship is super important to keep kind of nourishing. So we make sure that there is times that we catch up and we don't speak about work or we might, you know, speak about work for the first half an hour and then we kind of, you know, let's just (laughs) not talk about it for the rest of the night. And, I mean, I miss that so much. (laughs) I'm missing her so much. (laughs) Can you go sit in the park with her yet or are you not close enough? can now. Oh, yeah. We can now, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went for a walk today and it was just the best. Oh, that's so Um, lovely. Yeah, it's really important to switch off. When your job's online job, it's really important to go offline. Even though you really love it, it's still really important. I, I don't have certain, you know, rules or restrictions or boundaries or anything like that because every day is different and, you know, shit can hit the fan and I've got to be online at 10 p.m., you know. So it's it, it's hard when you're a business owner. But 
at the same time, as I said earlier, after watching that show, I have set certain things for myself. So I'm trying to not spend any more than an hour on Instagram. So once I get that, you know, you've been on out on for an hour, it locks me out. And, you know, nine days out of 10, I don't allow myself to click ignore. (laughs) It is still important for me because like anyone, I can get stuck mindlessly scrolling. So again, it's using it still as a tool. And I think outside of using it for a tool, one hour is plenty of time in the day to just have some fun on it too. So, you know, try not to have my phone on me at dinner or if anything, every time I say that in an interview, I feel like I get people being like, can you take a photo of your dinner like most nights? <laughs> my rule is, you know, if I want to take a photo of my dinner, you can that's post it, it later. You just take it and then, like, I, I know, yeah. And I don't touch my phone. Yeah. 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 How, how disheartening, though, is the, these like iPhone updates of your iPhone, your usage, and especially during lockdown, we've had it as well over here. And you're like, oh, God, I can't believe I've been on my phone that much. It's not Yeah. Good. I mean, you can't compare it to, to your normal life. You just can't. <laughs> What are some of your other go-to self-care practices? I know exercise is really important to you and, and making mm. you feel good. Yeah, for sure. Exercise is absolutely up there. And I think one thing that I've um, noticed with exercise is that I am kind of leaning more towards things like yoga and stuff in our app these days, more so than anything else, particularly when I'm feeling down or overly stressed, because I think back in the day, I thought that doing some intense workout or anything like that would make me feel better if I was feeling a bit wound up, but I'm actually the opposite. I've realized that slowing things down and and doing something like a yoga flow and, and meditating is much better when I'm in that state and to kind of save those, you know, hit or strength sessions for a day when I'm feeling a little bit better and more confident or just full of energy. So that's something for sure. I love taking baths and, you know, just putting on friends or you know a Netflix show that I love you love your friends Um, don't you You love friends (laughs) I really do I really do I'm sitting here with like I think I've got friends I think I've got like friends monopoly and yeah right behind me and Um, you've got your friends I'm not a stalker but I know you've got your friends hoodie (laughs) I do I do I just I don't know I I think when it comes to self-care outside of exercise and eating well for me it's anything that's nostalgic taking baths reminds me of my mom um she she takes baths like all the time. And I remember when I was living at home, I was like, how can someone enjoy baths so much? But now that I'm older, I'm like, I love a bath. Um, and, and watching like an old Disney movie or something like friends that takes me back or listening to music that I grew up with, all of that stuff is, is self-care for me. So it's funny, the kind of things I lean into when I'm feeling like I need to give myself some self-care. It's, it's it's all nostalgic. It's It's nourishing stuff, isn't it? It's nourishing. Good good for you. Yeah. What's some advice that you would give to your younger self, knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? It's funny because this is something that we ask our guests on the kick pod as well. And you get some pretty incredible answers. And I think I've answered it a few different ways sometimes myself, but one thing recently, we had a guest that said, I'd say nothing. And I kind of really related to that because <laughs> number one, I reckon my younger self wouldn't have listened to myself. Like I was a bit of a mm, know-it-all. Um, <laughs> and I was also a bit, I wasn't like super naughty or rebellious, but I did muck around a bit. And I think I wouldn't take any of that back. Like I made some mistakes and I, I did some things that sure I, I did regret, but I wouldn't take any of them back because I learned so much and I grew so much as a person through during every one of those things. So yeah, it's kind of hard when you think back. I think if anything, I would have just said, enjoy your childhood. Don't try and grow up too soon. Really just kind of embrace things. You're going to mess up, <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. And what about, cause I know there are a lot of girls that look up to you uh, and that follow you. 
What's some advice you would like to give to anyone who is listening who wants to do incredible things like you have? Um, my biggest piece of advice, particularly when it comes to kind of trying to follow your dreams or maybe even starting your own kind of business venture or anything like that is just to follow your gut and to trust your gut. And, you know, if you feel like there's a lot of people trying to bring you down or aren't necessarily believing in you, maybe kind of question why that might be. Um, you know, are they maybe not happy in what they do, not fulfilled in what they do? And, you know, a lot of people that used to bring me down, I think a lot of it came from jealousy of having the courage to actually just do whatever I wanted because they didn't have that same courage. So sometimes that is the case. You know, just know that even if something fails or it doesn't go how you think it's going to go, you're in a better position than you were because otherwise you'll just be stuck wondering what if and there's kind of nothing worse. You don't really want to ever be in that position where you just for years and years think what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. You might as well just try it and if it doesn't work out, you're just back to where you were, which is not a big deal. So, yeah, don't be scared to try things, particularly if it's something that fuels you with joy or that you're really passionate about. Oh, thank you so much, Steph. I feel like we can talk about so much today. Really appreciate your time. And like, I'm thinking of all of you in Melbourne, like every day. So really hope that things ease up for you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. We're on all podcast apps. There's a backlog to catch up on. And if you love this episode with Steph, make sure you share it with a friend. You'll also really enjoy the episode with her Keep It Cleaner co-founder and best friend, Laura Henshaw. We also had Michelle Battersby, who's working with them on Keep It Cleaner as well, who is incredible. Thank you so much. And make sure you're following us at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram for daily content. You'll get to see snippets of interviews, some more videos coming your way. And most of all, so cool being able to connect with you and see where you're listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.